Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 53. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You still glad you came? <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, when you come to us with words like this, we just confess that it's easy to want to stop listening because we think that you are coming to shame us and we're afraid that the, the worst parts of ourselves that we desperately hope aren't true is all that you see. But today we declare this, that your Holy Spirit, when you bring conviction, your intention is to heal and set us free. And so, Lord, we welcome these difficult words into our lives this day. And we ask for eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that's ready to receive you and your love and even your correction. So come, Holy Spirit, as we've said all morning, and have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So what do you look for when you're looking for a doctor? You know, not just any doctor, but the right doctor. So if, two things, really, right? Specialization and experience. Specialization and experience. So that makes sense, right? So if, for instance, you have an eye problem, you're not going to go to an orthopedic, but to an ophthalmologist. An orthopedic deals with joints, ophthalmologist with eyes. Makes sense. If you have a kidney problem, you're not going to go to a radiologist, but to a nephrologist. My brother-in-law, Sean, knows all about the nephrologist because he just went through some kidney stones. Delicious. If you have skin problems, you're not going to go to the gastro, right? Because that's when you have gas problems, like my boys. You would go to a dermatologist instead. If you have an issue, what? I'm sorry, dude. Let's be honest. It's truth time. It's truth. If you have an issue with your head or your neck, you're not going to go to a cardiologist, which is about the heart, but you're going to go to, what does that say? An otolaryngologist. What do we call an otolaryngologist? Otolaryngologist. What do we call that? Yes, thank you. But you're not going to just go to any ENT. You're going to go to an ENT that has a great reputation, one that has some experience under his belt. You're not going to go to this guy on the left. He's clearly not the right guy for you. You're going to go to the guy on the right because he's more mature. He's more advanced. They're both the same guy. All right? It's my buddy John who's an ENT who happens to be related to some of the people over here. And uh, John, we love you. Um, and he's a great ENT, by the way. But the point of this is simple, right? Is you're going to go to the right specialist with the right amount of experience when you've got a certain issue. Okay, you following so far? Not, not too complicated. But what about when the issue is pride? What do we do then? What about when the, when the issue is not any of the things we've talked about thus far, but a heart that constantly hardens itself in the places you think you have no other choice but to do so because you're afraid of the alternate options? 
What about those places in your life where you're tempted to play God rather than trust God? And you insist on taking his place because what has happened thus far teaches you to not trust him. What about when the issues of the heart? Well, God says that what we need to do is go to someone who specializes in stiff necks. And that, friends, is exactly who our God is. So this morning, as we continue through our study in the book of Acts, we're talking about the mission of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that he has a word to each of us today about the places where we have stiffened our necks, which is a biblical term that we'll see in a little bit unpacked that's all about prideful stubbornness. The places where I've said no, even if I've never actually done that. But it, it plays out in my life, in my relationships, and in this one thing that so many of us, that really all of us are desperate for, but struggle to have in our lives. Hope. Hope. Because when the world isn't working my way, and I dig my heels in and insist that it does, and then it continues to not work my way because I don't run the world, guess what I don't have? We've been in the book of Acts, and in the book of Acts, what we've seen is this simple reality, right? We took a break during Christmas. We're coming back to Acts, and here's the big picture of Acts. Jesus did what he promised. Jesus said the Son of Man must be handed over to sinful men and women and therefore be put to death. And, but he's going to rise on the third day, and he did that. And then when he rose, he came and he said for 40 days he taught how he was the fulfillment of all of the scriptures. And then he ascended to heaven on that 40th day, and he says to his people, wait here because the Holy Spirit's going to come. And 10 days later, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the church to do the things that Jesus himself was doing. And we've been looking at what some of those things are, and it's been blowing our minds because we're not just studying it, we're believing it and living it. And as we're believing and living it, what we're seeing is we are doing the things that Jesus did, and he is getting all of the glory. Thanks be to God. So what we've also seen, however, is the part that we like to just kind of Passover, which is as we're walking as Jesus did, who, by the way, remember, went to the cross, his invitation is to follow him by doing what again? Picking up our own cross. Yes, and we're like, oh, that's nice imagery. I wear one around my neck. Is that enough? Does that count? And what we find again and again and again is the reality is he actually wants us to die to ourselves so that we might live for Christ. And I've never met anyone who enjoyed dying. This is where we've been. This is what Acts is about. This is where we're going. And this morning, this is our theme. Our God specializes in treating the stiff necks of stubborn people. Our God specializes in treating the stiff necks of stubborn people. Three points. The warning, the pattern, and the doctor. So first, the warning. Chapter 7 starts with this unpacking the whole chapter is about stubborn pride about generational sin that's passed down so generational sin is is the patterns that are passed down from one generation to the next and you've seen this in your life even without knowing the biblical language you know families that all struggle with anger 
angry dad, angry son, angry grandkid, right? Like anger is passed down from the second, third, and fourth generation. You've seen families that struggle with sexual sin passed down to third, fourth, and fifth generation. You've seen it in your own life. You just maybe have never thought of it like this. But God's the one. Remember, he, he spoke the universe into existence. He holds it together. He's already told us this is how it works. So if you're figuring this out for the first time, hallelujah. But it's not true because you figured it out. It's true because he said so. And he's told us that this is the way that it works. And so as we unpack this and see this um, in this story, what, what, what God wants us to see in the book of Acts, specifically in chapter 7, is, is this. It's why we only read three verses. That there's, this, uh, there's a people living on the earth which includes us, that is always resisting the Holy Spirit. There's a people on the earth that's always struggling with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, listen, we grow in that. This is not a throwing away our growth and sanctification. I'm not trying to put us all in the same boat and say, oh, we're all horrible people. No, it's simply saying this. The one thing that separates us from God is pride. Do you know there's only one sin that will keep us from heaven? One. You can murder everyone in this room. I don't recommend it. But you could murder everyone in this room and then ask for forgiveness and be forgiven in Jesus' name. But you could simply slander your neighbor and in pride never ask for forgiveness because I don't need that because I'm okay and I'm good. Guess which one walks away justified? Forgiven. The only one who humbled himself. Do you see the difference? Pride is huge, friends. Huge. And so in our passage for this morning, it's talking about resisting the Holy Spirit. It, that's pride. And it's going to use the language of circumcision. Now listen, don't choke on this language this morning. Right? It's archaic in the sense of we don't think of our relationship with God in terms of circumcision. Right? But the, the ancient Israelites did. That was their covenant sign. Right? And so in the same way that we look at the cross and we're like, this is how we relate. This, this symbol captures who we are. Well, the act of circumcision was their covenant sign of God's promise to them to do for them what they could not do for themselves. To love them and be faithful to them. We sang a song about that today. I'm calling on the God of Jacob. Let your faithfulness manifest itself here, right? And so the sign of circumcision was the sign that was to be passed down from one generation to the next, saying, God, we need you. You're the faithful one. But I want you to hear this. From the beginning, it was never about fleshly circumcision. As we're going to see in our passage and unpack in just a little bit, God said in the Pentateuch, in Deuteronomy, that this act of circumcision was only ever to point to the spiritual circumcision he was going to do in our hearts. Amen. That God was going to do for them and for us what only he could do, which is heart transformation. You following? Okay. Second point, the pattern. Abraham is the first one that's brought up. And what I want you to see um, from this description here is simply this, that pride is sticky. Pride is sticky. Like, we didn't read the passage, but I'm going to tell you about it. Because in this passage, it talks about Abraham's life. And specifically, it talks about how God came to Abraham with these promises and warnings. God told Abraham beforehand what was going to happen. And he showed him, as it was happening, what's going on. And God's heart for him in the middle of it. Let me explain. 
So remember, God calls Abraham out of the, the city where he was born and raised, Ur, the Chaldees. And he calls him to leave. But if you remember, Abraham and his family and his father, they set up camp in this place called Haran. But it was only called Haran because Abraham's brother, Haran, died there. And the text tells us that his father wouldn't leave. He set up camp in his pain and refused to leave that place. And I want you to hear from the beginning of the scriptures just how much God gets us. Because when the world falls apart around us and the people that we're closest to die, where else are we more tempted to say, no, you're not good. You're not right. This isn't okay. Please don't misunderstand. God's not okay with death. God's not okay with a broken world. It's not how he made it. We made it that way. But here's what God is saying. I want you as my people to learn to see the world in the completely opposite way that you've been seeing it. We're tempted in those moments, are we not? To look at God through the lens of our loss. I lost someone. How can you be good in the middle of this? And God is saying, you've misunderstood how this works. I am good. And the only way you even know what goodness is is because I'm me. And so I want you to look at this situation through the lens of my goodness, not the other way around. Are you following? I want to tell you, there is power there, friends, for freedom. There is power because I wrestle with the same stuff and I wrestle with you in those seasons of your lives. And I feel that and I get that. And it's terrible. But if you're looking for a good reason why this happened, there is none. If you're looking for a good God at work in the middle of this horrible situation, there is one, and he is faithful. He wants us to turn our lens upside down and to begin to see our circumstance through the lens of his goodness. It's not just in what is lost, but it's also playing out the stickiness of pride in what has been promised but not experienced. Realize God promises to Abraham, I'm going to make you a people. Abraham, how many children does he have when God makes him that promise? Zero. Zero children. And he makes him that promise, and then a year goes by, and how many children does Abraham still have? Zero. How many of us have ever heard a word from the Lord, experienced a sense of, I feel like God wants me to go in this direction. He's going to provide this for me. Or you've cried out for provision. God, I need this, and I trust you, and I love you, and have not seen it happen in your timing. Please raise your hand nice and high so everyone can see. The rest of you are fibbing. You're fibbing, right? It happens in all of our lives. And I want you to know this. We do the same thing. When we say to God, it has to happen in this timing, who are we playing? God. He's our butler at that point. He's our lackey. Go do what I'm asking you to do and then come back. And if you're good, then I'll give you praise. No, let's praise him because he's worthy. And then let's trust him when it doesn't work in our timing. He is God 
We are not. Pride, however, gets us stuck in the opposite reality. Okay, that's Abraham. Whew, you ready? You okay? Joseph. Okay, so Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, is the next that, that Stephen uh, starts to unpack in this, the longest of all the sermons in Acts. The longest of all the sermons in Acts has to deal with pride. Do you think God wants our attention? So Joseph is next. And where's pride playing out here? Well, simply in this reality. When we think that we are just the way that we are and it should be okay to just do what we do because that's the way that we are. Has anyone ever said that in here before? That's just the way I am. That's my personality. Really? That's, that's just what I like, so that's just what I'm going to do. Really? Okay, so Abraham has a favorite son. Isaac, his son, the favorite, has a favorite son. Jacob, his son, the favorite, has a favorite son. Joseph, but he also has a favorite wife. The sin of favoritism passed down from one generation to the next. This is just what we do. This is our family. This is how we act. This is how we live. And how did that work out for him? Not so good. Joseph was sold into slavery. His brothers were debating whether or not to kill him. They wanted to, and it was only because the eldest brother got in the way that they didn't. But the whole time, what happened is they missed the message that God was actually sending through the little brother Joseph when he said, Joseph, your brothers and your father and mother will bow down to you. Now, Joseph wasn't mature enough to understand at that point how to even take that or communicate about it. But what God was saying to him was, something's about to happen, and I'm going to use you to save your whole family, which is precisely what happened. But they missed the message, and they tried to kill the messenger. That, friends, is the family sin of pride passed down from one generation to the next. Now, I know no one in here struggles when God has a message for you from, say, your parents. Right, kids? Or from your kids. Right, parents? Or from your siblings. I love receiving messages from God from my siblings. <laughs> right? Or from that friend that you're just not quite sure about. Right? Like when God speaks to us in ways that are going to, sh to challenge us to do the very thing we talked about last time. The opposite of pride is humility. Humility. To humble ourselves. To die to ourselves. When God sends people to be his messengers, which is most of the time how he communicates with us. We want to kill the messenger because we don't like the message. Which is the pattern in view for us today. So Moses. Oh, Moses. You gotta love Moses. He's probably my favorite Old Testament character because he's such a knucklehead. And he reminds me so much of me. Here's a guy who, listen, I'm gonna retell this story a little bit, was abandoned by his birth parents. Now, listen, they did that to save him, if you know the story. But when you're a little kid, you're growing up in some other home and you know you're different because they treat you differently, and you know your mom and dad gave you up willingly. Guess what you cannot process as a little kid? The bigger picture, why? His parents abandoned him. He grows up in this weird place. At 40 years old, he starts to feel a, an urge to, to, to care for his people of origin. And so he goes down and he sees an Egyptian and an Israelite fighting with one another. And he gets involved and he ends up killing the Egyptian. Because that's normal. 
I mean, we read these stories as if it's like, yes, and then he killed the Egyptian, and I just keep reading along. He killed a guy. He killed a guy. Raise your hand in here if you've ever killed someone. Just kidding. Don't raise your hand. Okay? But the reality is, that's not a normal response. Can we, can we agree to that? Not a normal response. But yet he does this, and it shows the dysfunction that's going on inside of him. It shows the pride, because pride is making it always all about me. I see an injustice, and I'm going to fix it. Man, is that my struggle. My name, William, means protector. I grew up with injustice after injustice after injustice towards me, around me, towards my family, and I wanted to fight that at every turn. And every time I chose to fight it, it worked out well for me. If you believe me, I've got a bridge I'd like to sell you in Florida. Right? Like, it, that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And it didn't work in Moses' life. But then God brings him out into the wilderness for another 40 years. He's 80 when God calls him to ministry. 80, George, when God calls him to ministry. Right? And he comes back to a people who are just as stuck in the same rhythm. They reject him. They deny him. Even when God works mighty wonders, wonders and signs, the ten plagues, the Passover, when God parts the sea, we sang about that today, and brings them through. They're in the wilderness, and what do we find? The very first occurrence of the term stiff-necked in Exodus 32, when, Abraham, when, when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and spends 40 days communing with God, basking in his glory, listening to his heart, receiving the Ten Commandments, and he comes down ready to love on God's people, and they're ready to love on God, only they've replaced God with this guy named Baal, which is now a golden calf, and they've been dancing around, and they've replaced Moses, too, with Aaron, his brother, who just so happens to be the high priest. That, I mean, that's normal, right? That's just normal. That's just what we do. No, but yes. You see, when God doesn't work in our timing, did you hear it? 40 days is too long. And when he's making us really uncomfortable and calling us to die to ourselves, you're in the wilderness, really hot. Not a lot of water, lots of wild animals. You're in a place you don't want to be for longer than you want to be. And all of a sudden you decide, I'm going to replace God. I'm going to do my own thing. And they keep doing this. God then brings them to the edge of the promised land, to this place. Now listen, they send in spies to the promised land. Do you remember what they come back, what the report was? Part of it is the people there are giants, which is what they're afraid of and why they rebel. But what else was giant there? The grapes. The fruit, they had to carry a bundle of grapes on a, on a rod between two grown men they were so large. God was going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, abundant provision. And they said no. Why? Because they were afraid because they made it all about them. Pride always makes it about me. Humility is learning to trust the God who's bigger than me, and say yes when he calls me to actually lay down me for him. Do you know the trap that so many of us fall into in these seasons of our lives? We say this, God, if you really loved me, this. God, if you really cared for me, this. We say this world essentially revolves around me, and it's all about me. We don't use those words, but we live in that way. But here's the sad reality. When we live that way, 
the God who loves us and stands back and says, I'm going to let you do that as long as you choose to, but I'm going to keep sending messengers your way to tell you a different story, one of whom is standing in front of you right now. When we reject that message, we only ever create the very world we are afraid of living in. And I want you to know that God's not like, see, I told you so. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and I will provide rest for your souls. That's the call of Jesus. It's not shame. It's invitation to rest and wholeness. Where is he calling you today? Because the reality is, friends, we all struggle with this, don't we? I love this passage here in James chapter 4 that talks about this reality. It says, what causes the quarreling and the fighting amongst you? It asks the, the very question that we oftentimes wonder. Like, when we're in conflict with one another, what causes this? And then he answers the question. So if it's in, in the Bible, the very question we're asking and the answer, we should probably pay attention to this, right? What causes the quarreling and fighting amongst you? Is it not the desires that battle within you? You kill and you covet because you don't have what you want. In other words, we're willing to... to to claw at one another, to hurt one another, to even kill one another. Why? Because of my desires, because of what I want. And notice he doesn't say you, all, you want all bad things. He doesn't even use the word bad. He doesn't say evil desires. He just says you have desires that you want too much because you want those things more than you want me. Where is that playing out in your life right now, friends? That's a real question. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show my, my family here where that's playing out in their lives right now. Where we are, Lord, living as people stuck in pride. It's sticky, deceived by pride. It lies to us. Show us, Lord God, and set us free. This is our third point, friends. This is exactly why Jesus came. He came to be the doctor that deals with stiff-necked people. Jesus is the one who tells us and shows us from the beginning that ENT problems are really heart problems. You see, there's the passage I talked about before. God says, you're going to be a, a people of circumcision. You're going to wear this sign on your body. But here's the reality. What I've always been calling you to do is circumcise the foreskin of your heart. You're like, well, how the heck am I supposed to do that? I don't even know where my heart has foreskin, right? Like, what is that supposed to mean? He's clearly communicating. There's something that needs to be cut off so that you can live. And that thing is sin. And God is the one who promises in Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy, we're not talking New Testament. This has been the story from the beginning. I will, the Lord, will circumcise your heart. Keep that in mind. As you look at this next passage of scripture from Colossians, in him, in Jesus, also you were, what? Circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, 
And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by nailing them to the cross. Don't miss what's going on in this passage. Paul talks about the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5 when he simply says this, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to what? Be sin. He made him to be the sin that was then cut off on the cross so that we in our hearts can be made whole. Hallelujah. That's the good news, friends. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He doesn't look out and say, oh, pity you, poor you. You did that. You fix you. Karma. We do not worship a God of karma. We do not live in a world of karma. You've never been given what you deserve. Ever. Ever. You've always been given better. God says he makes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. So even if you don't believe in Jesus, you've been given better than you deserve. You breathe every time you suck in, don't you? You're not in control of that. We have oxygen. You're not in control of that. The sun goes up and comes down. Actually, you, we all know the science, but you get what I'm saying. Like, but we're not in control of that. The one who is, is the one who gives you grace every day of your life. And in that grace, he calls you to see that everything he came to do, the reason he went to the cross, the purpose for him becoming our sin and then bearing our sorrows was so that we can be healed. Do you see it? It's so that we can have the courage to not be prideful. For James, that same passage, um, well, different passage, but also that passage we looked at in James chapter 4, it says this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at just the right time, listen, he can lift you up. Friends, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. where he is pressing in on you. You have such opportunity today for breakthrough and healing. And if you don't take today, it's going to take you a season to come back to this point. And you're going to experience all of the same sorts of feels and make all of the same mistakes if you don't let him in and give him access today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't stiffen your neck. But let the one who's come to heal you do the work that he has come to do. That you might live in this new family pattern and share in the mind of Christ. Who though in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing. Becoming in form like a human being, becoming like a servant that he might suffer through obedience even on the cross. Do you hear it? When you become a follower of Christ and join his family, there's an entirely different pattern by which we live. It's not the generational sin that's handed down from one to the next. God says when his grace breaks in, it goes down to the thousandth generation.
you hear it? God wants to break family patterns of sin in us that are rooted in pride. And he wants to start with you. Is there any greater blessing? You get to be the turning point for your family. You get to be part of his great plan of restoration for your family. And it starts now. It starts now. Do you hear it? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. But humble yourself so that at just the right time, which will regularly be different than your expectation of when just the right time is, he will lift you up. Let me share one story and then we're done. I've learned this lesson in no other relationship more than when this person right here, my bride. We married young, 22 years old. 22 years old. Barry, what did I say? You don't love Kristen. You didn't want to hear Kristen? I hear you. I hear you. Love you, Barry. He's going to get me for that. You know he's going to get me for that. We married at 22. And I had basically zero emotional intelligence. Zero. I was a walking pile of hurt and I didn't realize it. But when we were dating, I was so in love and enthralled with this beautiful human being and with the God she helped me to know. We never fought when we dated, ever. But then we got married and we moved in together and there was no escape. And I was utterly baffled how she couldn't understand how everything was her fault. And for two years, I made it my job to, to help her to see how all of the issues in my heart were her problem. And as we were in the car moving from Chattanooga, Tennessee, up to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, so that I could start seminary, Kristen turned to me and said, there's a wall going up around my heart. I don't want it to be there. But if nothing changes, I'm afraid it won't ever come down. I had to pull the car over to the side of the road because I was weeping with the confrontation of my pride that she had been trying to tell me about for two years. And I didn't have ears to hear because I didn't have the heart that was yielded to the Lord. But can I tell you, he used that confrontation to humble me. In that moment, the word is humiliate, to strip me bare so that I could see everything that was wrong, or at least a big chunk of it, and to begin to rebuild. And ever since then, we've been absolutely perfect, no issues. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> there was a lot there. Year seven was a very similar year. But can I tell you, every season of our married life has been full of this reality. Seeing more and more of how stiff my neck is. 
because I've believed lies about myself and about the world that I need to create for me to be safe. And yet it's right there that Jesus loves to step in and bring healing of old wounds and strength to walk as Jesus walked. My beloved All Souls Communion Church, if today you hear his voice, challenging your pride. Do not harden your hearts. Give him access. He is tender, kind, and loving. And he's coming after you to bring healing for your souls. There's no one like our Jesus. No one. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall freshly upon us. Oh, Lord. We welcome the work that you alone can do. Circumcise our hearts, Lord. Cut off the sin that so easily entangles. Set us free from pride and fulfill your promise that you made through the prophet Ezekiel. Behold, I will put my spirit within you and I will replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh that will cause you to and enable you to and empower you to walk in my world as I have designed it to be walked in. And we say, yes, Lord, come and do that heart work in us, Lord. Put your spirit in us more than we know. Fill us all the way down to the bottom, Lord. Wash us clean and replace that stony heart or those stony parts, Lord, even today with a heart that's ready and willing to trust you. Even when your timing is different, even when the story is different, even when it costs more than we think we can give up. Jesus, help help have your way thank you that your answer is always yes to that prayer show us how to be your hands and feet in one another's lives Lord to that end because we're really going to need it but oh God be glorified in our midst Jesus thank you thank you for not insisting on your rights as the only person in the history of the universe who could have justly done that but for laying it all down for us we love you Lord we lift our voices to worship you now in Jesus name